This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I just motorboated a bag of cookies downstairs, I think. You're ready uh, to go. This I'm, is after F45, though. Holy man. I did a Peloton this morning. And I got to say, I we got to, next Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, we got to talk to Corey about his favorite Peloton class because mine, I do uh, the Alex, I think it's like Alan, Alex Toussaint or Toussaint or, yeah. yeah. Anyways, it is, uh, Really, a lot of hip hop. He's probably my age. Is a he... lot of rap from the '90s. Uh, really hits home. I like when I'm riding on my bike. I instantly tilt my hat up. This is interesting. So the beat goes over so my eyes. I we were we're on a bit of an exercise kick around here. I would say not so uh, much a kick. Yeah, this is a, about it's month a lifestyle. Six. Change. This is a lifestyle. It's change. a lifestyle change. Jordan McDonald came in the office. <laughs> we transformed our ways. Yeah, exactly. But so we're doing F45 and actually a guy in the class said to me yesterday, older guy. Yeah. Do you notice that all the music is from the 90s? I feel like in exercise in general, it's 90s hip hop. Was the best exercise music created in the 90s? That's a, that's actually, because honestly, I, I, when I think of gym music, generally speaking, it's still 90s. Yeah. And no one in the class, and most people in the class are born in the late 90s, I would say. Really? For F45? Maybe oh, early man. 2000s. I feel like you, uh, you're... Did I overshoot? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, uh, I think me and you think we're all about the same age in there, but we're like the guys that are about 15 years older than everybody else. No, no, I, I'm aware of that. 
No, I'm I'm fully aware of that. It's, oh, wait, it's you're the, born. Yeah, 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 yeah. Born. Okay. born when I was 20, right. Okay, yeah. yeah, I see what you're saying. You're right. No, 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 I can hear the, the, <laughs> our group's knees clicking. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, no, I have no fault. They were babies when the music came out that were- And they still were listen listening. to the yeah, music. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Anyways. It's a testament to what a great decade the 90s was. I think it was. For music. I think it was. Uh, Should we go specific. back into the Jordan documentary? Because I feel like everything we- uh, wax on about here is, is from the 90s yeah but. except uh any rock music that was a terrible oh, that decade. was a terrible decade yeah <laughs> lost anyway. lost generation yeah well hey speaking of three doors down from us justin smith he's actually not he's i don't know where his office is but he's got he's from hawkeye wealth he's the president he's one of uh i really really enjoy having justin on the show he comes on kind of biannually or so, but it's been a while since we've had I him on. I feel like it's been a while since Justin Smith has been on the show, but he's definitely past guest fan favorite. A few things about Justin. One is Hawkeye Wealth is basically, the exciting thing about having Justin on, I would say, is Hawkeye Wealth is looking for investment opportunities for its clients day in, day out, 24-7. They're looking all over North America for a variety of different real estate and not real estate related right. deals which is always exciting just to hear his thought on where we're at, inflation, where the opportunities are, how those opportunities have changed over the last couple of years. But also, uh, he's just a really insightful guy. Right. Really nice, insightful guy. Yeah, I think the uh, I think Hawkeye Wealth is really for him being a deal finder, right? Because he's monitoring markets in the U.S. He's marketing, he's monitoring markets in, in, uh, in Canada, in Western Canada, definitely in B.C., and he highlights kind of finding deals, talks about his process. He also talks about where he sees the opportunity in the market. We even have him make some uh, bold predictions. So exactly it's, uh, it. it's a great um, episode today. I don't know what's going on with me. I feel like I you think it's having uh, a stroke. I might be. It's the F45 cookie um, combination really does it for me. You know, in thinking about 90s music, this is a... Brady D, producer of the show, was in a uh, a metal band, not from the '90s, right. I think from the 2000s. But yeah, this actually, I yeah. actually have one of his picks. Do you? I do. He had custom picks. He had. This custom is a true picks. story, right? That's how popular he was. He had. Custom, he had custom picks. So he would throw them away at the concerts. That's my understanding. He was in a, a band that I think and all is the still teenage going. boys would uh, would jump for them. I think right because I I think really he was in a metal band. I think it skewed popular heavily. Was, Teenage, teenage boys. boys, yeah. Well, and also probably people that like uh, Dungeons and Dragons and stuff like that, because the band had that. There's like a popular video. We should a, link to it in the in the show notes. Right. But there's a video of like Brady D shirtless with like spikes on, like wearing like football shoulder pads with spikes, yeah, yeah, doing yeah. like solos in like yeah, the middle like of like a Mad Max with like what is it? What is uh, Toot from Hercules? It's like I, I, I don't, don't know. know. Yeah, but it's it's, it's like yeah. a well, it's got a boy body but a horse. Oh yeah, he's like a centaur in this <laughs> centaur, video. He's basically centaur. a centaur. Uh, but Brady D is like wailing on like a guitar that has like you know a, a million different angles and like it, it looks like it's, it's actually a, incredible it is incredible <laughs> but this reminds me of the story i'm driving home so brady lives in strathcona as well i'm driving home i see brady d so first of all I, I see brady d on a phone right by my house and he's got a and he's kind of pointing like waving at someone i go what what's going on here yeah all of a sudden this police van like rips by doing like in in an alley doing like 70 
So like, you know, like, you know, I was yeah. like, you, you look like you're driving fast in an alley when you're doing like 20. Yeah, yeah. So it like rips by, almost hits me. Then I'm like, I, I get out of the way and it's going and it's, it's racing anyways. So I pull in and Brady's there like looking like, and he's a big, he's a big guy. He's a, yeah. he's a huge guy. He's you know, six, six, five or something. Be like. six, three, yeah. Six, six, three, six, six four. Six, three at least. He's, he's big. Friendliest giant on the planet though, but. Definitely. I feel like Brady, if he wanted to rip a phone book in half, he could, yeah. he, he, he could rip a phone book in Absolutely. half. So anyways, long story short, turns out a guy had stolen a bunch of stuff and I don't know what he stole exactly, but from, from the assembly. So assembly, the pre-sale project that we've had on the program before. Right. Right by uh, the Pink Palace Gelato. Yeah. So in Strathcona, kind of just east of the tracks, right by uh, Admiral School there, Seymour Admiral. Long story short, Guy had stolen a bunch of stuff and taken off. Brady chases him down, calls the police. It was like Serpico. Wow. Yeah, I I didn't didn't tell you this story anyways, but yeah, he was like sweating, did have a beer in his hand. (laughs) I was like, do you do anything without a tall boy in your head? But it was was just kind of funny. But anyways, uh, shout out to Brady D, Metalhead. And, uh, and hero. And hero for the developer. <laughs> <laughs> really? Way to stand up for the development community, Brady. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but I, I'm fair enough. The guy stole a bunch of stuff from yeah. the site. I was thinking anyways, but uh, yeah. I don't know if that's a great story or not, but let's, uh, let's run with it. <laughs> well, here we go. We're with Justin Smith, president, CEO of Hawkeye Wealth. Like I said, past guest fan favorite. This is a really great conversation. And I feel like because it really captures the trends, right? The trends of the market right now, post-COVID inflation, where the opportunities lie. But before we get to that, Adam, of course, we are sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, you want to see things like Ryan Serhant talking about how he loves Vancouver. Head Leo, over. Did, did he actually mention that? I, I think he did. I did saw it on about, Instagram. I oh, haven't, okay. I didn't right. actually catch it live, but yeah. uh, uh, I did Thanks. see something. Great like resources that. for the agents. Yeah, fantastic resources. Head over to oakland.com slash join. Type in VRP2020. That is oakland.com slash join. Type in VRP2020. Not only will you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, which is great, you get a huge incentive for heading over to oakland.com slash join. VRP2020 is the code. And let's cut to our talk with Justin Smith. I love this conversation. There are so many takeaways. This is one uh, definitely for the books. Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Justin Smith, president of Hawkeye Wealth. How are you doing, Justin? Doing fantastic. Thank you. How are you, gentlemen? Very well, Justin. We should say past guest, fan favorite. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. I can't remember exactly when that was. It was years ago because I was in the Main Street Corridor. I was in Mount Pleasant building our house at the time. Oh, yeah. And you, in the condo. In the condo. And the condo, the um, the bunker, I Yeah, that say. was like seven iterations of the podcast ago. We had, yeah, we had a lot of people in that bunker, including you. And everyone came down and basically said like, Ah, oh, really? What? What's? What? Should I why, even be on why this am show? I here? Why am and I've I made here? a huge mistake? Yeah, and how? This is under fifteen minutes, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that was like when you had the fake, like the call, like, oh yeah, there's an emergency. I got to get out of here. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Uh, we'll have to reschedule. But it, we, 
clearly you came back. So so you I, must be okay with it. I was it. kind of into it. Uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for your time anyway. <laughs> maybe maybe as a starting point, uh, Justin, can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself for those who heard you the first time and can't recall and for new listeners? Sure, sure. Yeah, my name's Justin Smith. I uh, have been in the Lower Mainland here for about just over 10 years now. Grew up Northern BC, Quinell, Williams Lake. Not sure if you're familiar with those uh, yeah. those areas yet until I was about 17 and finished up my last year of high school in, in Kelowna. Did my undergrad in psychology at, at UBC Okanagan and did a little bit of traveling after that. Lived in Quebec as well for a couple of years and came back here, finished out my degree, my, my MBA here in Vancouver and shortly after got into real estate and, and really haven't looked back since. Student of Andre Pavlov, as I understand. Yes, yes, I, I very much, uh, I very much enjoyed him at having having him as your guest. It, I don't want to say he was different than he was as a teacher, but he kind of was. It was nice to see that that other side of him. So yeah, I'd like to chat with him again at some point here when uh, when he's not. A, it's just a different dynamic. It's like politicians. Once they're not politicians anymore, yeah, the conversations are just the best. And I I, I don't know if teachers are the same. Right. So I yeah. get less, sense get that it, less guarded. Yeah, yeah. They're just they're just people, right? We we like to think that him and Davidoff when they're on the program, they they loosen up a bit. That's that's the goal. That's the goal at least. But um, no, it's great having them on for sure. No, Andre, if you're for listening, sure. and I think you did it. I think you did I loosened up for sure. <laughs> I don't think he listens to the show. <laughs> oh, he listens for sure. <laughs> he's he's a, he's a busy guy for sure. So Justin, I, I didn't know the Quebec component of your trajectory. What what were you doing out there? I was volunteer service actually for a couple of years full time. I uh, did one year of university and then from nineteen to twenty one. Did two years, yeah, full time. So it was uh, every day, six thirty in the morning till about nine thirty at night, and doing volunteer work specifically with the Spanish community. So I learned learned Spanish in in Quebec. Oh wow! Yeah, that's most people go to Quebec to yeah, learn yeah, Spanish, yeah. isn't yeah. that it? It makes complete sense. <laughs> <laughs> so how and and I I recall the origin story, but just for our listeners, why why real estate? I actually got into it a little bit uh, in a sideways manner. I was, after I did my MBA here at Simon Fraser, I, I graduated. The The market was actually quite soft for jobs. It was a lot harder than I thought. I thought everyone would be banging down my door to hire me for you know large amounts of money. And it was very difficult. It was a challenging time in my life. And, and there was a point actually where I had about six months of a gap in my, in my resume. I'm like, I better go do something to to beef up my resume. So I went to apply for a uh, a volunteer position, and I remember going in and getting interviewed. And they, you know, they just needed some marketing work done. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I think I have the skills. I've, I've got my MBA, and probably a lot of MBAs have said that about themselves before. Yeah, yeah I've, got, I've got an MBA. Why wouldn't they want me? And anyways, that was probably the low point. One of the low points in my career is I got I got the email back uh, explaining that I had not been selected for the position to work for free. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I took a job for a little while uh, working with a food company. And, and um, at the time, my landlord explained that he was going to a real estate conference. So I went with him to the real estate conference and it blew me away that the topic could attract upwards, I think was probably five, six, seven hundred people in the room. And I just I just didn't know this existed. And and so sat down for the day and and listened to a lot of the different presenters and it it just opened my eyes. And I just liked the energy of the people. There was a, a gentleman, I think also a previous podcast guest, Dave Steele, who was in 
I was one of the presenters that day. Huge, huge fan of Dave Steele. Yeah, wow. I actually, he was he was talking about some deals in China at the time that had nothing to do with real estate. And I remember making a joke to my landlord, like, did this guy not get the memo? It's like, this has nothing to do with real estate. What's he doing at a real estate conference? But then he gets up and gives the presentation. And I just thought it was really cool what he was doing. And he just had an excellent energy about him. So uh, I approached him afterwards. And uh, I happened to have my notebook there. I happened to have a couple of resumes left over from my from my job search days. So I handed Dave a, a resume and got coffee and and uh, got into the real estate business a couple of weeks later. So here we wow. are. And and as I recall, you started selling real estate for Western Canadian Properties Group. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, you got it. I, uh, and you hit the cover off the ball, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was very, it was very close, uh, very close to not doing so. It's um, it's really hard when you leave a structured position. Um, to go into an unstructured position. I, you probably are very familiar with this as realtors. And I believe I might've even mentioned on the last podcast that that Netflix was starting to become more of a thing at this time. And, and yeah. so you, you go from having all of this oversight to truly having to motivate yourself. And that's a, for some people, maybe that's easy. For me, that that wasn't easy. I didn't have the, the habits in place to go and, and do good work. So when Dave, when I was first working with Dave, I, I don't think... Um, it started off all that well. And, and, um, my wife was letting me know that it wasn't starting off all that well, cause it was a hundred percent commission position and I wasn't making any money and she was working a full-time job. So anyways, uh, I remember we were driving down the highway one day and, and, uh, she looked at me in the eyes and said, Justin, you got to get a job. And I just remember thinking, honey, I, I can't go back. I, I just can't. Cause I, I really enjoyed having that freedom, even if I didn't know what to do with it quite yet. So I promised her at that point that I would make $10,000 in commissions that month. And if I didn't make the $10,000 in commissions, I would go and, and get a job and uh, got to work, made one sale. And then another realtor, you know, brought me in on, on a couple of deals as well. And I made $10,035 that <laughs> month. And so, you know, the joke is, you know, I, I was $35 away from not being here <laughs> today. And then, uh, and then, yeah, then, then there was a little bit of confidence starting to grow. And, and, um, on the next project here, the, the belief started to come and was able to sell 14 units in the next project for Dave. Wow. And, and then, yeah, it was, it was, um, yeah, it was a great time uh, of growth in my life. And then you kind of, you know how it is, you get a little confidence that you can do something and then it becomes more fun. And then you just want to do more of it. And, and, uh, that was really where where it all started for me. I, I would imagine Dave is a great boss, just because I, I or a mentor my, maybe or mentor, mentor. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite stories of of you Dave felt the Steel. need to clarify there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I remember Matt and I were doing a talk. We were guests on a, like on a panel for the investment series that that they do, and there was a like a public messenger, like um, a public place that people could comment. And then there was a private area that people could comment. And Dave Steele, as we were presenting, was just like chirping us in the, in the, in the private one. He's always, and he he's, was like making jokes about us as we were presenting. And it was totally throwing me off. I was reading them and then I'd like start laughing a little bit. And I, but he is a funny, funny guy for sure. But every once in a while, you, you know how it is. Uh, you go through your life and you look back at the people who have been there for you or have been important or instrumental in, in making key decisions or, or helping you get to the next level. And, and 
Dave was the right guy at the right place for me at that time of my life. And yeah, I'm very, very grateful uh, to have had him as a, as a mentor and, and uh, still, you know, on occasion and stuff gets really crazy, you know, Dave's a good guy to call because he's, he's seen a lot. So. Right, right on. Yeah. He's uh yeah, he's seen more than most that's for sure. But uh, what I'm curious about, and we've kind of shifting gears a little bit because you're the founder and president of Hawkeye Wealth, right? There's a, a transition in the story here. There has to be from being <laughs> on the floor selling selling homes to, to running uh, a very successful company. Can we find out maybe a little bit about how you came up with the idea to start Hawkeye Wealth, what Hawkeye Wealth does, and, and that kind of transition away from, you know, being in commission sales on the floor to to running a, a successful company. Sure. Yeah. And in, in, uh, in 2014, 2015, things were, were hopping up in Northeast BC, Fort St. John, Dawson Creek. There was a lot of talk of LNG. I had Site C Dam, which, which hadn't started at that point. So there was a lot of excitement in the area. At the same time as doing the Northeast BC stuff, I started getting involved in raising capital for multifamily projects, big apartment buildings down in, in Phoenix, primarily. And as 2015 kind of rolled on, the, the whole resource market was taking a bit of a breath. And Phoenix, of course, was, was on fire, literally and figuratively. <laughs> and it's hot, hot. Um, so, so it just made sense to spend more of my efforts there. And a lot of our, our clients that had also done the Northeast BC stuff uh, thought it was a good place to have some money as well. So I already had a bit of a client base and, and was able to go start introducing these, these private equity, multifamily real estate deals to our, to our investors. And, and, you know, they went well, so why not keep doing it? Right. So we did a lot of deals in, in, you know, 2014, 15, 16, in 2017, when I was doing this here, the reason uh, or what I was relying on was something called the Northwest exemption, which means that you didn't have to be uh, registered or, or I guess licensed maybe in your world to go and, and raise capital. In 2017, it became clear that I was going to need to get registered if I wanted to continue raising capital. So at that point, I had one of two choices. Do I go and, and join somebody else's brokerage or do I create, brokerage isn't the term, but I, I guess I'm using the words, you know, right? you guys are familiar with the business model. It's the same business model in my world here. It's called an exempt market dealer, but it's like, like a brokerage. Or do we start our own? And it's much easier to join somebody else's. It is much easier. It's, it's less money. It's less stress. There's a, you know, we have, we're audited annually. So, you know, this, when the CRA gives you an audit, it's a, you know, it's a bad year for you personally here. Well, we get us, we get an audit Every year, year in your own. Yeah. Every that year. just gives me anxiety. Yeah, just uh, yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Audit, audit, yeah. audit, oh, audit. Yeah, exactly. Everybody just shut oh, every, their yeah. Yeah, That's why people yeah. don't start their own, right? And then, uh, and then it took, you know, it takes a while to get it started too. You know, you heard it might take upwards of a year to, to go and start your own. There's a lot of paperwork that has to be filed and a process to go through, right? So ultimately, when I looked at it, there were two deciding factors for me and, and why we decided to, to start our own versus join another. And the first was control over the product. I didn't want anybody else to tell me or control what we offered to clients. 
And uh, I viewed that as a risk because even if you have, you know, some, uh, some other exempt market dealers out there, I, I might like some of the deals that they do. And then I, I might really dislike some of the other deals that they do or think that, you know, they're too risky or just, just not, not for me. Well, even if you don't represent those products, you're still painted. We still have risk by associating yourself with that brand, right? So I said, you know what? I want to control that. I want to control that. And then number two is we want to control over the client experience. You have to get a number of other people involved. Sometimes, you know, we've got a lot of compliance and, and different people that might be a touch point for the client along the way. Each company has their different processes, their, their, their different template emails that they have. And the client experience is just paramount in this business. So, so I wanted to control that. I want our clients to love doing business with us. And, and I just couldn't find a way to do it to my satisfaction without, without setting it up myself. So, so the decision was made. I was in the middle of a 48-state RV tour in the U.S. and, and uh, just ripping around. I think I was in Florida at the time and uh, just, you know, sitting there looking at the ocean saying, yeah, let's, let's do this. So started that process in 2017. In uh, May of 2018, got the notification from the BC Securities Commission that we were ready to go. So haven't looked back since. So, so what does Hawkeye Wealth do then? Yeah, so so we help people get involved in private equity, real estate, and and debt deals, and we really do that by by doing three things for the client. The first is we we help them identify strategies that we think will outperform over the long term. And by strategies, I mean geographically, where do we want to want to invest within North America? What what cities? And then within those cities, what asset classes do we want to go after? Is it do we want industrial? Do we want multifamily or retail or office? Or do we prefer to be lending money on the debt side. Also, you know, do you, do you want to build it from the ground up or do you want to buy existing assets? So those are all questions you ask on, on you know, identifying a high level strategy that we think will outperform. I really like the, the, I believe it's the Jeff Bezos approach where you're trying to find things that you think won't change for the next 10 years. You know, and trying to start figure out where the opportunity is because of change. Well, it's easier to build a strategy around things that don't change. So that, that is what we're looking for usually when we're identifying strategies, because we want some runway. We don't want to just do one deal in one strategy for our clients. We want to be able to roll it again and again and again for as long as we can over the years. And we did that right. with multifamily in the Southern US. And then after that, we want to identify the teams that are the best at executing on those strategies. So, so we don't operate the deals ourselves. We're looking for operators that can execute these strategies at, at the highest level for our clients. And we view this as literally the most important decision we can make at Hawkeye. They're making decisions on our client's behalf and, and very much Hawkeye's brand and reputation is, is dependent on those decisions and how well they execute the, the business model. So that's the second thing we do is we identify the teams. And then third, we vet their, those teams deals. So those teams, let's say they have a, a strategy of, of doing industrial or multifamily. As each industrial or multifamily deal comes down the pipe, they send you an investor package and on those, there's usually a, a pro forma. So we go and we do our own independent due diligence. We don't work technically for the issuer. We work for the client. So we're independent of these groups, even though we have good relationships with them. And uh, the idea there is to, to go and make sure that the assumptions make sense. You, you never, performers all look great. They all look great. Every single one, you know, and, and um, our job is to find out how real or realistic uh, right. those performas are. So those are the three things we do. And, and then 
clients, you know, depending on their own, their own appetites and strategies and, and financial wherewithal, we'll, we'll uh, introduce them to certain deals that we think might be a fit for them. So is a, if, if I'm working with Hawkeye, just so I understand, I'm a client of yours. I have, you know, half a million dollars that I'm looking to invest. Do I have that in my account and I'm watching for emails from you like, hey, here's a deal, you know, this looks good. Uh, and then, you know, maybe I put 100K there and then, hey, here's another deal. Okay, this looks good. I'm going to pass on that one though. Or do I give you the funds and then, you know, you tell me after, hey, you know, good news. We've done X, on, X return and you're invested in a car wash now. Yeah, no, you hand me all your money and then I go to the Bahamas. <laughs> no, so we, we actually don't manage we actually don't manage client funds directly. Our job in the world is to is to go and find the deals. Once we've found the deals, it's then to go and and make sure they make sense for you. So we walk every client through what's called a, a know your client process to ensure that the, the deal is suitable for you as well. If you say that, you know, let's say you've got that five hundred grand and and you want to go do a deal and you say, Hey Justin, I want to give you this five hundred grand there's this deal here that looks like it's going to be a two-year deal, but I need to make sure I have that 500 grand back in two years because, because I need to give a down payment to my kid or whatever it is, right? We would just say, don't invest that with us, right? Suitability is a big part of what we do. So we walk the client through the Know Your Client questionnaire. We also have to ensure that uh, clients are eligible to invest, not just that it's suitable, but that the investment that you're eligible for the investment. Many investments in our world require that you be an accredited investor. And there's uh, many ways that you can qualify as an accredited investor, though there's usually three that are the, the primary ways. The first is that you have over $200,000 a year in income and that you've had it for the previous two years and you're, you think you're going to make it this year as well, or combined with your spouse, 300K in income. The second is through what's called the net financial assets test, which is you add up all of your, your stocks, your cash, any kind of other securities that you're, you own. Most of the stuff in your, your RSPs or TFSAs will be go towards this, but it does include any real estate. So if you have investment properties that have equity in them, you wouldn't add those up here or you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't include your principal residence. So if, if this amount adds up to over $1 million, that automatically qualifies you as an accredited investor. And then, or the final test is, let's just say you've got a ton of real estate, but not as much net financial assets. If, you, if your total net worth were over $5 million, that would also qualify you as an accredited investor. And you don't have to qualify for all three of those. You would just have to qualify under one of those. So that's, that's the process. We first take the client through. And as long as everything looks suitable and they're eligible to invest, we would walk you through the deal, the subscription, the paperwork and, and everything. And at the end, you would write a check directly to the issuer. So we don't manage your funds. You'd write a check uh, directly to them, though we would be your point of contact. Okay, so that that all makes sense, Justin. I, I think somebody out there would be will, is wondering. So, how how do you guys actually like? How does the business actually make money? Is there uh, an annual fee? Is there is it commission based? Like, how does how does Hawkeye Wealth actually keep the lights on? <laughs> <laughs> so, so for us, our our general principle is as often as we can, we want the client to pay no more to purchase a product through Hawkeye than they would if they went directly to the issuer or operator of the deal. So far in the vast majority of the cases, we've been able to do that. There's, there's occasions 
where it's not that we wouldn't, it's that we we can't. And I don't need to go into that on the show, but that's that's the principle of it is that we're paid by the issuer for raising the capital. And there's no disadvantage to doing so. That's kind of our value proposition, right? Is we're, we're independent, mm-hmm. A, and we're a one-stop shop for a lot of different deals. So instead of having to build a whole bunch of relationships and going out and doing due diligence and trying to find these other groups and, and then find out when they have deals too, when they're dropping, well, you talk to us and uh, that's the service we provide. And we do that independently here with, with vetted deals that we think might be suitable for you. So I'm thinking about the market right now, especially COVID, like kind of once COVID hit March 2020, call it, we saw kind of the the steroid injection into the real estate market. Prices are kind of at all-time highs throughout all of North America. Is it hard to find deals right now? And are you in cash, Justin? (laughs) (laughs) Is it hard, getting harder to find deals, I guess? I do have uh, quite a bit of I'm, I am mostly in cash, but it's not for the reasons. It's not because it's hard to find deals. It's because of our business model. A lot of our a lot of our business model is is we get paid when our investors get paid. So so starting the business in 2018, we've got a lot of deals that are performing very well that we just haven't been paid for yet. So I like to keep a lot of cash. Just to, it's very important to me at Hawkeye to be able to afford to say no to a deal, and it's really hard to say no to a deal when you've got no cash. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so anyways, uh, and I, I know you're saying it kind of in jest, but it's hard. It's very hard to find deals out there. I mean, you guys maybe went through something similar. March of last year hit and it was like, what's going on? Are we going to lose there? Your mind can actually downward spiral pretty quick. When March hit last year, you're kind of like, am I going to die? <laughs> yeah. Is this the end? <laughs> yeah. There was, a, there was a, whole bunch of, yeah. a whole bunch of different stuff rolled in there, right? And you're not, you're usually you'd go and get together with the people you love to kind of talk about these things. And it was just, it was just weird. It was a scary time. And then of course, uh, May, June, July rolls around and you're like, okay, well, I don't think we're going to die, you know, business or, or health. And then, you know, September, October, November roll around and you're like, I'm not sure, but I think we're making a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just the, it was just the weirdest year that way. And um, what's happened, and and you guys know the story of it here. The government's the government got to work, and I don't know, I can't remember whether it was March or April or May, but in, in pretty short order, they got to work firing up the printing presses and or whatever the digital equivalent is these days. And, and you know, a few keystrokes. There had to have been somebody at a computer pushing a few keys you just, just add to add a, couple a, few, zeros. Add a few zeros yeah, to it. Exactly. I wonder who that guy is. Yeah, you should get him got, on your podcast. Get that I want to <laughs> hear that story. <laughs> but what happens is, is you know, the, the fears of inflation come. And when people believe there's going to be inflation, they want hard assets. And there is just a pile of money that's poured into real estate. And what we found in particular in the asset classes that we're involved in, we, we uh, primarily are involved in apartment buildings, both buying existing and developing new. So we're primarily involved in multifamily and the other, and, and we're also involved in industrial. And those two asset classes more than any other, not only did they get the money as usual that was pouring into them, a lot of the money that might've usually gone into office or might've gone into retail Said, you know, maybe, you know, we want to be a little bit more in industrial and, and multifamily. So that that's pushed up the asset prices in, in the space we operate even more. So 
you know, maybe as a little bit of an anecdote for it, um, we saw one deal in in February of last year that a group had landed. Uh, this is right before COVID started, and it was a multifamily deal. They they uh, bought the apartment building at one hundred uh, had under contract about one hundred and twenty thousand dollars per unit. They decided, and and I think it was probably a, a very prudent decision at the time to to back out of the deal probably cost them a little bit of money to back out of the deal too. Uh, you know, I still don't think that was a bad decision. And funny enough, uh, almost a year and a half later, the same deal comes across our desk. They've, they've won it again, but they haven't won it at 120 a door. They've won it at 160 a door. And it's just, it's incredible. It's incredible. And you're, you're kind of, you're kind of conflicted because on the one hand, you're kind of doing a dance for all the real estate you own. Right. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. on, on the other, to your point, you know, it's like, what do I, what do I do next, right? So the way I the way I frame it is this: I still think, on the basis of probability, real estate's a great place to be. Do you think that the printing presses? Do you think that you, do you think the guy's going to wake up tomorrow and not add another zero? I think he's going to wake up tomorrow. He's going to come press the zero and and go. Back. I don't know what that guy does. You got to get him on. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and, and it could be a girl too. I, I don't yeah, yeah. But. I think they're going to keep printing money. And if they keep printing the money, do I think money's going to keep finding its way into real estate? I, I do. I do. What's weird about it this time is, is, is I don't think I want to go all in on that because the world's just weird. The mm. world's just weird. And if one, if the last year's taught me anything, it's, it's, you need to, to build your portfolio and be prepared for, for the unexpected. Cause I, I think being a prognosticator is just over, is overrated. You know, and so you need to. I, I'm a bit more of a believer in the the Ray Dalio all season approach, and and uh, I think that's a, a big takeaway from from COVID. So one thing that we're doing as well is we're actually getting much more involved in the debt side. So mortgage funds. Not sure. Are you guys familiar with the product? Have we had anybody on talking about? We haven't had a no, but yeah, it was clearly a lot. I think people have talked about investing. You know, like Mark Ting has talked about it. Oh, right, and, right. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know so, what? But maybe let's let's, let's unpack uh, it a yeah. bit, please. Sure, sure. And and you know, maybe we can get you a, a solid. We're we're pretty well connected in that area. So if you guys would like a future guest, I think it's a, a something important to to know about. So so it's important to understand how equity and debt are different. They're just they're completely different beasts. Um, to give you a, give your audience an example. Let's say you buy a house for a hundred thousand dollars, and you put down your down payment of freezing math. Let's just say it's forty thousand dollars, and you know a couple of years later, for whatever reason, you got to sell. You're moving out of town, or or you got to sell it. And and after all of the expenses, you only pull out eighty grand. You know, so you, you lose a little bit of money on it. So you put in forty originally on your down payment, and you and you lost twenty grand on the deal, right? So that person that put in 40 has lost 50% of their capital. Now, the debt holder, the person that lent the $60,000 for the deal, their experience is very different. They have lost $0 on that deal and they've earned interest along the way. Now, what do you do? You forfeit the upside. And I still think that there's some upside. On the basis of probability, you know, I, I think there's some upside, but there's something to be said for that downside protection in the event that the markets drop as well. So, so I kind of, I kind of view it as a, you know, yeah, let's, let's play some offense, but let's, you know, let's think defense too, because the world's just a, a messed up place. So we've been raising a lot of capital uh, into mortgage funds, particularly mortgage funds that are, are focused on 
low loan to value mortgages because because you know if you only lend out sixty grand on the hundred thousand dollar place, it's a different risk profile than if you lend out ninety grand on the on the hundred thousand dollar property. So low loan to value, primarily first mortgages, usually in in larger markets as well where you have more liquidity. So our clients have really liked that as an option too. So for the money that that they don't want to put all in to the markets, but it's sitting there in the bank account getting what? Like nothing. <laughs> pretty, pretty, pretty darn close, right? Or GI, it's, yeah. it's just doing nothing. So at least this way, you're keeping your head above water with inflation. And you know, you've got some, you've got some more defensive characteristics of the investment. What kind of returns, like in terms of interest rates or, or what kind of returns are you seeing on those defensive plays? Yeah, well, it, it can really it can really vary depending on the strategy. You can actually go and get returns into probably the the mid high teens. Some f- funds out there are going doing really aggressive stuff, but they're doing it high loan to value. They're doing it on land or on construction financing. There and and less established developers. You, right. you, you can you know on the higher on the highest end of the risk spe- risk spectrum. That's what you're going after. For us, we prefer not to go after that that uh, because we'd we'd rather have the equity. For our where we want to make a lot of money is by actually owning the real estate. We we uh, that's our our preferred play. For defensive characteristics, again, with that those first mortgages, lower loan to value, you're you're more around that six to eight percent is is really what you're going going after. One thing that jumps out at me, Justin, from what you said earlier, was the idea of looking for you know plays that are not going to change for at least a decade. Clearly, real estate is is one of your comfort zones for sure. Debt financing as well sounds like something you've kind of moved into and the two, I think, really go well together. Are there any other areas that, that Hawkeye is looking at um, or are you just sticking with with the tried and true? So we very much like multifamily and we very much like industrial. We're in the, we're in the middle of an industrial deal. In fact, it just hit my, hit my inbox last night and I'm very excited because they don't come around as often. If we're all making different bets on what's going to happen. And one that I, I really like is industrial. I, I just, e-commerce, is that going to change over the next 10 years? Are people going to buy more online in 10 years? Or are they going to buy less online in 10 years? Probably more. I'm not a prognosticator. <laughs> did we get it right? I don't know, but, but, it, but it's all, it's all probabilities, right? Yeah. It's all probabilities. If I'm looking at something that I personally believe is, is going to be true. I mean, I mean, if I'm wrong, then, then we're, you know, maybe we're in some trouble here, but I'm looking for the things that are the, the highest probability of being true. And I, I, I view the rise of e-commerce as, as a big thing, movie content, video content, that all gets produced in warehouses. There's a huge new facility being produced out in, in Langley about, I believe it's about 600,000 square feet. The back in the day, I can bring back Netflix. <laughs> back in the day, you were always looking at third-party content on Netflix, right? It was it wasn't Netflix original content. If you were to scroll through Netflix today, it's almost all, all yeah. I'm an expert on Netflix. I can answer this one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that's the thing, though. It seems like like I mean, between Disney Plus, Prime, Netflix, uh, Crave, Crave, we're watching almost now exclusively exclusive content to all of those service providers, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Like that's what it is. If we, th- if we talk about any of the shows that we're watching right now, almost none of them are third party. Yeah. It's exploded. And, and we like particularly the industry in the lower mainland. I mean, Vancouver's a, a movie production hub. It's big time. This is, right. it's really big business in this town, right? So, so it's riding, it's riding that wave. 
Vancouver has one of the lowest, if not the lowest, or at least at least right now, vacancy rates for for industrial in North America. This is we're here. It's it's happening in our own backyard. <laughs> and then usually, what would your solutions be? Well, either a you bring in more land. Well, agricultural land reserve. You know, people think there's a lot of land out there. There there's not. There's not a lot of land. And and I remember a number of years ago. A gentleman from Port Metro Vancouver was speaking at a uh, Vancouver Board of Trade event, and he was talking about how he thought within 10 years, Metro Vancouver would be out of industrial land. And and so, you know, going back to my point on what strategies do we want to pursue, you know, a light bulb went on my head. It just, why are we not buying more industrial? And then that's what we, that's what we proceeded to do, right? So, so uh, we've ridden that wave. And then the, the other thing is, is, you know, it's not like residential where, Occasion, well, you don't have enough land, just build more stories, just densify, right? And that's not easy to do with industrial. So, so you know, it's not like Asia where they've got little trucks that they can easily bring up the ramps and they don't need much of a turn radius. And in North America, it's very difficult to build multi-story industrial. So you, you kind of go and add it all up for the, for the increased demand. And, and on top of that, Vancouver population is growing. So not only are, are the people that are already here buying more online, they're also, there's more of them. So I, I don't know, you, you add it all up. And then the cherry on top for me is the government interfering less on it. If the rents, over the next three years, if the rents in residential were to raise 70%, what happens? You try and get rid of a tenant? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you'll be able to. It's, no. it's, it's we're getting into pitchfork territory. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you think you think the the policies being proposed federally might be a little bit silly right now. I'll just just wait until rents are are eighty percent higher. Right? How many? We're in the middle of a campaign. I don't know if that'll age well on this on this podcast. But how many of those promises are about capping industrial rents? You know, I think, I think, you know, I think the liberals had upwards of 500 promises last time I looked online. <laughs> I, I, I haven't looked at all 500, but I would, I would venture a guess that none of them were about capping industrial rents. Right. Huh. So one thing that um, I'm just thinking about here is it seems like you're in terms of industrial and multifamily, a lot of the multifamily Hawkeyes involved in is in certain markets in the U.S., right? So Phoenix, as I understand, I think you guys have done deals in Texas, Atlanta. And then it sounds like, though, industrial, you're staying closer to home in, in Vancouver, at least from what you're saying today. Yeah, that, that's a coincidence. We just happen. It's not just because it's our backyard. Our backyard just happens to be one of the best places to invest in industrial as far as, I mean, you might, you might get a glut here for, you know, as they, as they build it out over the next few years, but eventually you run out of land. And if you can afford to hold on to the property, yeah, yeah, we like it. The multifamily stuff down in the U.S., we've, we've kind of got two different strategies. In the U.S., it's about value-add multifamily. So what's value-add multifamily? Well, big apartment buildings, for those not familiar with the asset class, they're basically priced similarly to businesses where, if you have an apartment building that produces less income and, and you have another apartment building that produces more income, your one that produces more income is, is worth more. And even if you take the same asset, let's say you find, so the name of the game is to find an asset that's underoperated, that's not, that's not producing income to its potential, go in, and that's why they call it value add. You add, you add value. And is that through operations? Is that through renovations? Is that through washers and dryers? And, and uh, you've probably had guests talk about this a little bit in, in the past. 
that's what literally makes your your building worth more. And the, we like that strategy in the U.S. for a few different reasons. One of the big ones, to your point, is is it's a more landlord friendly. It's easier to execute down there if you try and execute that strategy in in you know particularly BC and Ontario. It's 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 a lot harder to do. You just have, it's almost just a waiting game, right? You wait for them to move out, and when they move out, the next one comes in. Yeah, and it might rents. be a twenty year turnaround. And for the people that are willing to wait the 20 years, maybe that's the, maybe that's the play, right? It's not bad, but it's you can just do it quickly down in the in the southern US. In in BC, we've done some deals and we expect to do some more. We we like residential here though we prefer doing it as a development play, not buying existing. And the value gets added by the fact that, you know, you you can build it for less than than you could buy it brand new. So that's how you get the value out of it. And there's just a lot of institutions that have appetites still for multifamily in Vancouver. So you develop it and then ideally you, you, you sell it to an institution. And and again, things that aren't going to change in, in Vancouver in the next 10 years. Earthquake's really the only big one I can think of that does weird stuff to Vancouver. But again, I, I don't even know what that does. Maybe that makes it better. Some, I, COVID just made me learn that you just don't know necessarily mm-hmm. what happens um, in certain situations. But is, is Vancouver still going to be a desirable place to live in 10 years? Yeah, I think so, right? Like, what's what's going to change there in the next 10 years? Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking about how uh, we've talked about this quite a bit, but I mean, I'm I'm very bullish on uh, the Okanagan, even though with the fires. But we, the, the conversations that we've had around the fires is it could put a lot more pressure on Vancouver and Victoria with people that just don't want to deal with this anymore, right? And that want to move to the cities yep. and want to be closer to areas that are not burning all summer long. Yep. Yep. You know, the I Kelowna, mean, there's yep. a lot. Yeah. And you think about it, like there's, there's a lot of reasons why Vancouver could, uh, even see with climate change. And I, I don't, I, I don't, an earthquake, I don't know how that would, that would pan out, but with climate change, you think even we're going to become even more desirable. Yeah. It was a bit of a weird situation, wasn't it recently with the fires, because you're seeing it on the news and on TV and I don't know how this, there was maybe one or two bad days of smoke here. Well, yeah. And compared to a couple of years ago when we had, and I think that was all coming up from Oregon, we had some bad smoke, but this year it was, it was kind it was of not, striking, right? Bad. That you'd drive into the interior and it was like, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. And then you come back to Vancouver. It's like, oh, it's a beautiful summer. We had a, we were using an air purifier and it's got like a light that notifies you when there's like polluted air or smoky air. And I think that light on went on once for about five minutes. Like it wasn't bad at all this year. So, I mean, thinking about this though, maybe a question for you, Justin is, you know, it sounds like COVID has impacted kind of the way you, you think about long-term strategy and short-term strategy in terms of investing and rightly so, I guess. 2021, for a lot of people, I think, has been, if you were thinking about climate change before, you're thinking a lot more about it now and how that impacts, how, how it seems to be. The impacts are greater and coming quicker than a lot of people thought, right? I'm just thinking about, you know, the 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 Arizonas of the world, the the places that you like multifamily. And I'm just, and, and I don't know, I you know, literally, I don't know because there's no forest there. So maybe, maybe Arizona performs very well in climate change. But I'm wondering about how you are factoring in in terms of risk mitigation. Uh, you know, a, a change in climate. Yeah. So, so one of the best things and worst things I ever did was subscribe to the Economist <laughs> <laughs> because it's so it's so well written, 
right? It, it's well researched. It's well written. It it's it just don't seem to have as much of an agenda. Everyone's got an agenda. Just just seems a little bit more objective. It's got that, a, a that little, old school yeah. English objectivity. Yeah, yeah. at uh-huh. least a little bit more. And and you know, th- on the bad side though, it's like when you look at it, it's probably about ninety percent why the world sucks. That's written very well. <laughs> but there's some, some good stuff on this. To your, to your point with Phoenix, you know, I, I read a good uh, article on the Colorado River and, and how they divided up the Colorado River between a number of different states and even Mexico, right? And, and how, you know, what their assumptions were on how much water they thought there would be and how that's changed over the years. And certainly it's something that we, that we keep in eye. It's important. And how are you going to have society without water, right? We go through a due diligence checklist on on every single deal that we do, and and part of it is is climate, uh, mm-hmm. and and it's not just climate; it's actually categorized as natural disaster because I don't really care whether you know there's a ninety percent chance of an earthquake. That's just as much of a problem for sure. me as as climate change, right? So so it's certainly a risk that has to be uh, considered. It can also it can also be an opportunity, and I'm not saying this is a strategy we'll pursue, but again, on the Economist here, I, I just read it and very well articulated article on how very lucrative crops that previously wouldn't have grown in northern climates are are now you're now able to grow them here mm-hmm. and what does that mean for for farmland right like like there's there's maybe even a wave of opportunity from climate change and it's a, it's it's not I'd rather that wave not exist yeah of course uh, qu- quite frankly Though, you know, there could be some opportunity there. We're, we're about to meet up with a group that's done a lot of farmland here in the next week or two and, and just learn a little bit more about that business model because, again, you know, we're trying to figure out those strategies and that, that, um, that we think are going to be good for the next 10 years. And if you're thinking about things that won't change, everyone says, well, the climate is changing. I'm like, yeah, but what's not changing is the change. It's, 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 it's yeah. almost becoming something more that you can bank, bank sadly. Yeah. That, you, that you can bank on is the world going to be hotter or colder in 10 years from now yeah, yeah. like and and so if you if you if you have a belief that it's going to be hotter it's it's what do you do right so that's, yeah and it's funny because i i think people will live through in risky places right i mean there's risky but, places but even all the over insurance it's the insurance, the insurance that's the biggest yeah. thing and that was the thing that caught me off guard this year is Boza Sea to Sky couldn't get insurance because there was a fire within whatever it is, 50 kilometers of Squamish. Um, one Water in Kelowna. One Water in Kelowna couldn't get insurance because there was uh, several fires within 50 kilometers. Penticton, all, all over, right? All and over. It, and People becomes, not being able to complete on projects. Right. And then the question becomes, you know, there's still wildly successful launches happening in Kelowna right now, for instance. And it's like, well, and in, and the, what, in the insurance freeze moment, there was two projects that both sold out within 72 hours. Right. So then I guess the question is, is the market factoring in climate change or not right now? And like, I don't know how it, we got to become an environmental <laughs> podcast here, but, but it's an interesting no, but conversation. It's an, it is an interesting conversation. It's interesting to just think about, I, I go back to kind of risk mitigation, right? In, yeah. in terms of just, you know, I was just curious to see how you're no, thinking about it. it because if, it's, it's not, if it's not pricing it in, it, it doesn't have a long enough, people aren't thinking long-term enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And half your job is almost being an actuary in a lot of ways. Cause you're, you're, you have to be like, you're, you're looking at risk Prob- all day prob- long. Probabilities. Yeah. Probabilities. Right. And, and, uh, to your point, it's, I, I guess, um, hot tip for those in, uh, 
Okanagan markets are where I think places that are really fire prone. Like it's really nice to close in March. It's really nice to close in November to your point, because, you know, you can, I don't want to say you can count on forest fires, but you know, it's, it's not, it's not like it's a, it's not like you've got a 10% risk of having a forest fire within 50 kilometers of you here. It's, it's higher than that. Now I've got a brother in Penticton actually who bought a new place last month and uh, he happens to be an insurance broker. And you know what he did is before his close, I don't know how he did it, but uh, you know, maybe the audience can contact their insurance broker or, or I'll hook you up with my brother. There we go. Nice little plug for my brother, Adam. Um, but you can actually, he was able to get insurance before he closed. So he saw the writing on the wall and said, I think that I'm not going to be able to, to buy, get an insurance policy in another month or two. And then landed it and, and was able to close business as usual. Wow. Well, it's funny because it used to be every few years there'd be fires, but now I feel like it's almost every, it's, it's an annual issue. Well, yeah, it's an, an it's an issue. It just, it's how bad is it going to get, right? It's yeah. not if it's, if there's going to be fires. Yeah. If the, the Albert, the Albertans, I, I lived in Kelowna for seven years. The Albertans, they flock to Kelowna in, in, you know, the July, August, September, every other license plate going down Harvey, the, the main drag there. It's, it's Alberta. And, and, you know, to your point, do they, do the habits change? You know, they have their annual vacation in this place. This is just what they do. And, you know, how many years in a row does it have to get smoked out before you say we need a new place? And uh, I, I don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. But if you're an investor and you're not thinking about that and, and calculating that as part of, as part of your risk, I, I don't think you're doing proper due diligence. Let's talk about areas you like. So we've kind of covered, so the U.S., uh, you, you're, you're big in the U.S., are there areas in BC that you're kind of really excited about? On the development side, we've primarily been in in the lower mainland. Um, and when I say lower, it's, it's not just certainly not just Vancouver proper here. Any Fraser Valley, like even our industrial stuff, very little of it's actually. I don't think one project is in Vancouver proper. It's you know your Surrey, your Langley, your Richmond. That's where most of the where the land is, right? One of the deals that we're doing right now has a plot of land in Kamloops and for an industrial deal, and, and the numbers are quite good. Personally, I'm not a, I spent quite a bit of time. I have grandparents in Kamloops, so as a kid, I spent a lot of time there. It's, it's, uh, it's not the place for me, but, but numbers don't lie. I was going to say, but it is a transportation hub. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I, I've got a brother in Merritt that makes the same <laughs> argument to me. Yeah, <laughs> Just... <laughs> so, sorry, Merritt, the Merritt, <laughs> Merritt listeners here. We, we love you guys. Um, but, but yes, I, I, we, it's, you know, there's some of the numbers out of the, the interior there. If you can, if you can go and do some industrial, industrial, we like in a lot of different markets, uh, though residential here, primarily we've been involved in, in the lower mainland and, and some on Vancouver Island as well. We just finished up a project in Langford that did quite well for investors as well. So, so. For us, we're, we're kind of more major centers. One thing that um, I prefer to stay out of the more the resource markets. I told you I got started in Northeast BC. I actually bought a number of properties up there as well. I still own them, you know, kind of five, six, five, five, six years in. And, and I think that market might make a comeback. It might, mm -hmm. uh, though it would have been much lower stress if I just bought them in Vancouver and sold it for twice as much as I paid for it, you <laughs> right. know? Five years ago. So, so uh, one thing that got inserted into our due diligence process because of Northeast BC was it's not just everyone looks at where the jobs are being created. And I think it's prudent. If you don't have a job, you don't have the population growth. People got to work. 
One thing, though, that we looked at is, is if you can count on change, if change is going to be the new normal and, and uh, digitization of jobs, like our, our jobs are able to be done more remote than ever before, right? So we don't think that's a trend that's going to change where jobs are going to be more easily done remotely. And so the big question comes, if people are untethered to their job location, where do they choose to live? So just desirability has, has skyrocketed up our criteria for investment markets. Like if people, if the jobs were to disappear tomorrow, would people find a way to live there? And uh, I think that's important here. And I guess that's the principle I'll leave instead of kind of going into market, you know, what, what markets do we like? I, I do think that that's uh, something if I were an investor looking at any market, I would, I would strongly consider. Yeah, that's a really interesting framing of that. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, well, maybe we'll leave it there. But Justin, can you stick around for the five wire? Five lighthearted questions uh, to end the show. We have changed them since we last had you on there. And there might be a couple that are the same, but uh, I'm sure your answers have changed. It's been three years. So let's go. All right. So question number one is what is your favorite bar or restaurant? So it doesn't have to be in anywhere in the lower mainland. My favorite restaurant is not too far from here, actually. It's, it's, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it wrong. It's Lin Restaurant. And if vegetarian. you- Vegetarian? No, no, Chinese. No? Is it, is it, oh, I thought it was, uh, Lin's was vegan. Oh, yeah, no, it is. Chi- yeah, you're right. You're right. Sorry. Yeah, if you like, if you like um, Shaolongbao, it's like the, the steamed, the Japanese steamed, I think they're not for steamed buns, but they're, it's like a, a, a meat in a, it's definitely not vegetarian. <laughs> it's like, it's the, the, furthest meat, the meat thing. is literally the only reason it's I, this is, this is my favorite <laughs> restaurant. Um, that, that's, that's my go-to. That's and, my wife's, uh, every Christmas she, she orders from there. Does she get the steamed buns? I think she does. Yeah. She's a big uh, meat eater. Good, good. They're, it's uh, just eat them when they're hot. They're just, it's not the same when it's cold. <laughs> this is definitely a new question, Justin. Favorite band or song? What were you listening to while you're driving in from White Rock? I was talking to my brother the whole way in from White Rock. <laughs> Touche. Um, favorite band or song? You want to know what has changed as I've aged? I actually, I actually like older the older i get the older the songs i listen to get yeah. and one that just uh it does different things to me is is still hotel california ah interesting the eagles yeah i, I don't know it's got just I, I don't know what it is maybe someone can explain to me what i'm feeling when i w- listen to hotel california but it's it's something one thing's for sure in about 20 years you'll be probably listening to big band <laughs> as, I do feel like though you, to... you you have created, mentioned some things that kind of seem profound and that's another one the older you get the older the music I feel like yeah. that's actually that's uh, at what, least that's, true yeah. for me as well really uh, yeah I'm like is that actually a thing I Matt's guess. listening to um, Celtic music from the 1800s <laughs> that a boy uh, yeah. just wait till I hit 60 <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> what is one book you would recommend I think this one was asked uh, last time here, I think, but his favorite book, book I'd recommend. If you haven't read Seven Habits, I know it's going to sound so bad because it's so, it probably gets said so often here, though I will argue it's for a reason. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. That's a great one. That's a classic. One piece of advice you would give your 18-year-old self? Um, do your best, get better, and let go of the result. That's a great one. Last but not least, something you have bought for under $1,500 that has had a positive impact on your life. 
We sometimes say life-changing, but... No, it's... Uh, no, I actually have had a good one recently. I, I bought a water rower. And uh, traditionally, I just, ride, I just ride on the stationary bike. And I'm not... When, when I, I like variety in a lot of things in my life. I like a variety of food. Uh, I like variety of, of music. When I work out, I literally want to do one thing. I don't want to do anything <laughs> other than that one thing. And I just want to do it over and over again. And the, the water rower has been just fantastic. It's, um, it's the one of the ones that's got the water sound when you pull on it. It's almost therapeutic that way. It works the, the legs, the core, the arms. How does it work the legs? Because you're pushing. Yeah, it's like when it, you row, you put, oh, it's almost yeah, it's all okay. in your legs. It's on a right? I've never it's rowed. A, yeah, mm. it's, it's just like a sliding seat. They say it's about 60% legs, the power, 20% from your core and 20% from your arms. And then you get the cardio, then you get, you're getting cardio at the same time, right? So, yeah. so I never buy that kind of equipment new. I always just go on, you know, Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist to, uh, to get it. Because in my opinion, most exercise equipment is just new stuff that's been moved from the store to a house. Say, it's yeah. like, <laughs> ne- never used, never used. Yeah. So uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, the, the guy, uh, we just got under that $1,500. He, he had listed it for $1,300 on, on, it was actually, it was originally $1,500. He'd lowered it to $1,300. And at $1,300, I told him I'd take it. And I never got an answer back. And I'm thinking, geez, you know, I must've just, I must've lost it. And then I saw like a week, week and a half later, he'd lowered the price to a thousand bucks. And I'm thinking, what happened here? So I messaged him again, telling him I'll take it for a thousand bucks. And he said, oh, great, thanks. And so, yeah, I went and bought it from him for a thousand bucks. And <laughs> and his junk folder saved him or lost him 300 bucks, I guess. Or, I, I, I probably should have told him. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Uh, hey, no. You're a deal finder. I, 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 I found, a, I found <laughs> yeah. a deal. I found a deal. It was a, he was moving the next day, so he had to get rid of it. And he thanked me because I was the only one that didn't negotiate further from the thousand bucks and those like just so i understand because the rowing machine you actually your your form gets better over time too right like is that are you becoming a better rower do you think i i don't i don't know it's uh, i've had it for about i've had it for about a month if anybody gets one i'd recommend watching a, a video on youtube that talks about form uh, just to make sure that you're exercising all the right muscles and and uh, there's because there's a technique to it right uh, about you know it's legs first, and then it's arm, right. it's core second, and then it's arms, arms. third, and then yeah. it's in in reverse, right? right. Uh, as you go how back you, into how the. How do you know this? So I've done a little bit of this before, <laughs> but one one thing I've noticed is that when I when my form was corrected, the number that you can watch that goes down uh, went down dramatically, which means I'm getting more power, I guess, out of each each row. And the other thing is, is if you do it correctly, it's a way better workout than if your if your form is poor. Yeah, I think a lot of it too is just, you know, it's long longevity, right? So yeah. so it's not rowing isn't depending on the sport here, but at least for when I do it, it's not like a it's not like a 20 minute thing, right? I usually go I put on a show or do 40, 45 minutes to an hour and and um so if you've got poor form, you know, back starts to hey, Yeah, you yeah, hurt yourself. Like middle-aged man problems. That's a that's a great one though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right on. I remember last time, Justin, uh, I feel like one of the questions might have been a habit. And I think, I just remember you talked about walking a lot in, in the five wire last time. Anyway, I don't know. You know, uh, you, it, it sounds it, like this, you're not doing much walking. This didn't happen, Matt. This was a dream. <laughs> that was an old habit. Really? I, that didn't happen? I did, I did. I did. No, I did. I did. I, oh, I walked last yeah. night and, and, uh, listened, listened, uh, to a book. Still, still do it though, though. Not as habitual as as uh, when we were talking 
the last time. One habit um, that's been very good for me and, and my business is a morning huddle. There was a while during COVID where we didn't run one. It's essentially, it's you, you get together with the main people on your team, pick a point in the day, usually the morning is the best, and get on the same page. So we, we share our top three priorities for the day. And uh, it's usually a five, a five, 10 minute meeting, get off. And, and it's quite incredible how that increases the alignment of the whole team. So any business owners on here, if you're not having some kind of daily communication that's working towards a, a longer term goal and, and where you can bring those, those priorities down to daily priorities, that's uh, been a huge game changer for us. Fantastic. Well, maybe we'll leave it there. Justin, how can people find out more about what you're doing and, of course, about Hawkeye Wealth? Yeah, just come to the website, hawkeyewealth.com, and, and uh, hopefully you guys can have a link there in the podcast, and, and I would love to chat. Fantastic. And I would just, uh, I'll, I'll plug your, your email uh, blasts because they're, uh, they're terrific, and that's where a lot of the deals go out, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. And, and if I'd say about three quarters of the deals go out to the, the email database. There's a chunk of deals that don't go out to the database though. And the reason is, is some, some of the teams or groups that we work with, the operators, they like to keep the private in, in private equity. Sure. So, you know, it, we like to get to know you too. If we get to know you, we know exactly what deals to send your way. So you get, get on the list and then, uh, and then reach out, introduce yourself and, and we'll see what we can find for you. Fantastic. Well, thanks again, Justin. Thank you. there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Justin Smith, president and founder of Hawkeye Wealth. Really enjoyed that conversation with Justin. So great having him in the studio and seeing him. It was good seeing him. Uh, we yeah. haven't seen him for a long time. I always I always learn so much from him. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a pleasure having him on the program. Absolutely thoughtful guy, for sure. That was great. What else do we have for the week before we go, Matt? What else do we have? Well, I'm just thinking Brady D's almost like Norm from Cheers, but for the entire community of Strathcona. He is. Well, we were just talking about this. I feel like McLean Park, it's there's there's some I don't even know if it's legal to drink beer in McLean like Park. I I feel like after Ken Sim was on the show, it's become clear that it's not allowed still because the Vancouver Park Board can't get their act together. I think there are certain parks. We should really do our homework on this because there are certain parks that are allowed drinking and then there are certain parks that are not. But the ones that are not would surprise you because like the one thing about the I would say uh a lot of the parks, kind of in East Van in general, a lot of them are right beside microbreweries. Right, so it's exactly. per, it's like the perfect thing to grab like a four pack of Tall Boys and then Instead go. Instead of going inside, you just head, you over, just to head over to a park, right? Yeah. So they've kind of become like parks in Vancouver, are almost like the, if you're, if you're like in your 30s plus, even in your 20s, mid 20s, it's, it's a place to go have a beer. It's, now. A, it's a nice spot. It's a nice spot to sit. But we were joking about how Brady D is kind of like he's always got a, it's almost like it's fastened to his hand. Yeah. And he's he's pretty specific with his tastes. He's as are most specific. people in Strathcona. Well, he, like. he drinks a lot of Superflux. Yeah, and, which is and, crazy to me. Well, which is, it's to me, I, I, I don't think I could have probably two Superfluxes. They're oh, always gotta, like eight, nine percent or something. Yeah. Right? No, it's, uh, it takes a specific type of person to be able to drink those. Well, you got to be six, four, six, five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the key. Yeah, exactly. And you got to have a hollow That's lid. That's like a Coors Light for Brady D. That's a Coors Light. <laughs> he, he's very operational. He's very operational. What else do we got for the day? What else do we have before we go? We got Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. 
head over to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live. We got the live wire. This has pre-sale VIP projects, commercial pre-sale VIP projects. We got residential pre-sale VIP projects. We got deal of the month. We got stats. The September stats just came out. A little bit surprising, actually, but those were out along with sales ratio to everyone on the live wire immediately. We also got private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free at your fingertips. We've got a good friend of the show. I just was talking to him. He said, well, let me just go back through my PCS. I'll run the numbers quick. Not a realtor. Wow. <laughs> but this is this is the best that, thing about that's PCS. That's a type of resource. He's got, he's got all is. the sold data. We have him set up on a variety of different searches. He monitors his area. He monitors other areas. If you're a real estate nerd and you're not on PCS, what the hell are you doing? Or, or even if you just want to find out what prices are in in a neighborhood. It's a great resource, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Also, we should say, Adam, we are not great at social media. You're better than me. I'm terrible. Yeah. But we have really upped our Instagram game. Well, Melissa uh, Moretti on our team is, uh, we we said to her, she, she was doing a lot of social media on her own page. That's right. Do you call it a page? Account. Right. Account stories. She was doing uh, stories. She was doing a lot of stories. So we said, uh, why don't you do some on the V Rep Instagram? Because we've got we've got a decent amount of followers on V Rep, but I would imagine we would have a lot more if we actually if we actually ever put yeah. put content up there. She's been doing. She's been hitting it out of the park over there. Lots of positive um, feedback. It's it's my favorite account to monitor now. Uh, is the, the Vancouver Real the Estate Vancouver Podcast? Real Estate Podcast oh, interesting. Account. Tons of useful information for buyers and for sellers. And then also a lot of stuff like market stats. We're actually, we're going to be running a poll soon about best investments, uh, best areas to invest, uh, multiple choice questions. So if you are on Instagram and you don't follow Vancouver Real Estate Podcast, it's uh, at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. Is that true? The Instagram, it very, it, it is. You're thinking of our Twitter handle. Oh, at, yeah. Uh, yeah I but we, yeah. Is, anyways, yeah. just type it in. You'll find us. And uh, yeah, thanks for following and uh, thanks for listening. And if you want to talk about private client services, real estate, or anything else, give me a shout, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Have a great week, guys. And uh, we're back with some other amazing content next the week. I just can't keep, wait. Hits just keep on coming. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, 
families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. And I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. 